and gentlemen, welcome to Eat, Sleep, Suplex Retweet. Hello and welcome to Turkey's favourite wrestling podcast. Yes, it's Eat, Sleep, Suplex Retweet. I'm Turkey's number one podcast host, the podcast host of ESSR Central, Ross McLeod, joined by my brother, Scott. Scott, how are you? Hello. Yes, I'm I'm very happy to be here and very happy to be podcasting for all those lovely people in Turkey. Yes. For those of you that don't know, Stephen recently sent out our Spotify wrapped and we apparently have quite a large following in Turkey, so <laughs> there is that. I mean, Russ, our uncle mm. is from Turkey, so we've got the connections there. We can we can break that market huge, better than when Debbie tried to break India. Yeah, exactly. Hello to all of you and to all my brothers in Turkey. Merhabab. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> before we start, you and the good people of Turkey can find all our previous back catalogues on uh, on Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet, iTunes, Anchor, Spotify and Android. And if you want to join in the conversation and just say Merhabab to your favourite co- uh, hosts of these shows, <laughs> then you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube at Suplex Retweet. Well, we just dive right in, Scott. Ah, we might as well, we're already here. <laughs> what a wonderful, wonderful attitude. Uh, War Games made its main roster debut this past Saturday, 27th of November, uh, as part of the Survivor Series pay-per-view. Um, something we spoke about in the group chat before it, Scott, was that this is only the third Survivor Series pay-per-view not to feature a traditional Survivor Series elimination match. However, the previous two... Uh, 2002 and 2000, sorry, 1998 go down as two of the best Survivor Series of all time and Survivor Series War Games certainly brought a freshness to the Thanksgiving tradition Yeah definitely, it is weird that a lot of, the, a lot of what people love about Survivor Series is the fact that he has this concept in WWE that's usually like unique to that, like the 515 traditional Survivor Series matches like people have been begging for them to go back to just the regular format that's at five on five rather than just being five people from SmackDown versus five people from Raw. But ironically, it does seem to be whenever they deviate from that and get and not do a traditional Survivor Series match, they have some of the better Survivor Series matches or some of the more fondly remembered ones because obviously not every match in that 98 tournament was a, was a classic, but everyone remembers how it ended with The Rock becoming the corporate champion. And I talked about when we did a wrestling mix themed around Survivor Series when we talked about the Chamber at Survivor Series 2002, I think Survivor Series 02 is one of the best Survivor Series like of all time, in my opinion. So, I think this is actually one of the best Survivor Series since like 2019 uh, in modern day. So, a really good Survivor Series this year. And Michael Cole, you know, acknowledging WWE's history, talking about all the first ones Survivor Series, including the Chamber and like all the people who have debuted. Yeah, I liked that at the start. You know, Survivor Series is a time for debuts. The Rock, the Undertaker, the Gobbledygooker, who could forget that? Um, Kurt Everyone's favourite. The Shield, the Elimination Chamber, and now the War Games match type making its debut on the main roster. Um, it also, uh, Dave Meltzer of the Wrestling Observer reporting that Survivor Series 2022 was a record-breaking show. It drew the largest ever professional wrestling gate in Boston, Massachusetts, breaking the seven figures uh, seven-figure bracket in that process. 
the event had been a sellout effectively from the moment tickets went on sale. Sale WWE ended up releasing a few extra hundred tickets a couple of days beforehand, though these were immediately purchased. Uh, to top this, the 2002 War Games Incarnation was the most watched Survivor Series event in history. Apparently, this isn't a surprise as WWE Premium Live Events in Peacock in the US. Uh, it has 15 million subscribers. So you add to that all the worldwide uh, WWE Network subscribers. Uh, a very a very successful night for WWE. Seven-figure gate. Uh, most watched Survivor Series of all time. Unreal. Uh, yeah, definitely. I think I think it was around the time of Clash of the Castle when we were hearing about all the records for that. We heard that Survivor Series had already sold out. And like this was before we knew that we weren't doing the brand v brand thing this year even though the logo, the red and the blue kind of implied that that was going to be the case. So, you know, imagine being like in Boston, buying your tickets ahead of time, wondering if you're going to see Triple H's like take on the brand V brand thing, make it interesting, then find out, oh, by the way, you're going to get to see, see the main roster debut of War Games. How lucky those people must have felt. And it, it does seem to be a running thing. Like people have a bit more faith in the shows months in advance. And so the shows are selling it. Like I think they returned to the Alamo Dome for... Rumble, apparently that's selling out pretty well. I don't think it's completely sold out yet. And then we saw how quickly both nights of WrestleMania seemingly have sold out so far. Yeah, it's it's an exciting time for WWE and they're certainly delivering the big match types. I, I didn't think it was a surprise to see as soon as Triple H gets in, the war games aspect gets added. He was a big, uh, big fan of it, trying to push it onto the main roster in 2002 and that's how we got the Elimination Chamber because Triple A, because Vince wanted something a bit different. He wanted, he didn't just want a carbon copy of what WCW had done. <laughs> but, um, what did you think of the actual event itself? Uh, it felt like a very takeover style card with only five matches on the card and especially the likes of AJ Styles and Finn Balor being given time to wrestle. Yeah, I think I thought it was a good show. I like the fact that they're doing the takeover model for the majority of shows. I think uh, going forward, we won't see the big four always have this fear match. I think it's when the big four happen, we might get you know that five or six matches like extended to maybe like eight. Maybe I don't think we're going to have like ten, twelve, like our twelve like match shows like we used to have when like WrestleManias or SummerSlams back when Vince was in charge of the last couple of years, mm-hmm. but. Like the idea of this for like the B pay-per-view especially, like to keep it to five or six matches, people who need to be on it, storylines that need to have their like a blow off for the next step here on this pay-per-view, and then you can extend it a wee bit, make a help set the big four pay-per-view apart. But I can understand why they limited the matches because like it's kinda of like the rumble, you don't want a lot of matches on the undercard, you're just there for the rumble. Like, when you know there's war games, yeah, you you'll probably enjoy watching AJ Styles versus Finn Balor, but you know, or like the triple threat match, which I did but you know that the War Games is pretty much the same point. That's why it's like the subtitle of the entire show. Yeah, I agree. Um, plus, when you've got 10 people in the first match and 10 people in the main event, and then obviously uh, with the likes of AJ Styles and Finn Balor, who also come with two tag partners out, out, sorry, sorry that again, uh, outside the ring watching their backs, I mean, instantly there's three matches and you've got 10, 20... 26 superstars. There's no need to be putting random matches on the card to just yeah. fill time. Yeah, just give. So, 
Let's talk about the two championship matches on the card. Um, Ronda Rousey with Sheena Baszler going up against Shotzi Blackheart for the SmackDown Women's title. And Seth Freakin' Rollins defending his United States title against Bobby Lashley and Austin Theory in a triple threat. I'll go with the women's title match first, Scott. I thought this was god-awful. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I wouldn't entirely disagree with you. I really would have swapped this with the the Finn Balor-AJ match because I know why AJ and Finn got the most time out of the three like non-war games matches because like, they gave them a few minutes to build to what they wanted to do and let the crowd get their better back before they they got like the great spots and that. but I think it would have been better if you switched these around because go, let's be honest this was the match that pretty much everybody like knew the result of going into I don't think I've ever seen a match where everybody's so adamant the challenger won't win the title in yeah. such a long time and especially I think it would have really given a take review because I remember it used to be back in the day open a match is great Second match is kind of okay, and then you get a great like middle of the card match, and so I mm-hmm. think it would have been really great if you swapped around and let AJ and Finn be right right in the middle of the show. And remind me, I was th- talking to this with a friend the other day. Was it Shotzi who everyone was talking about being kind of botchy in the Money in the Bank match this year? Yeah, yeah, it just seemed everything she tried to put together just didn't work out. Yeah, so like. It's weird because NXT, she seems to be like the person, and for, to the extent she's been doing this, I mean, as well, she seems to be a person who every time someone needs a partner, she's there. And then it feels like she takes these long periods off TV, but clearly isn't doing anything to develop while she's off TV because then she comes back for the money in the bank, things go wrong, and then comes in here with, with Ronda Rousey. And like everything seemed to go wrong, especially that spot on the apron. I think they were going for some sort of DDT, which was. Risky enough at the best end if you know what you're doing, but I don't think these two quite know how to like pull it off. I mm-hmm. think, think there's a story come out that the WWE ended up muting the crowd because they were chatting we want Sasha during the, the match, which was also a very bad sign. Like I felt bad because like Shotzi has a fan following and like it's good to see those kind of people get title shots, but again she is she's not quite as green as her hair is, but she's still fairly inexperienced. Yeah, and and Ronda Rousey is as good as Ronda is and how much she's taken to do the WWE style uh, coming in from MMA. She's not exactly the person you most trust to, to carry a match. No, I, I definitely agree with that. Um, Shotzi made her debut in 2014, so she's been she's been wrestling for eight years. So if if this is how she is now, and as you mentioned, you know she takes these large periods off TV. Maybe the fact that she isn't doing anything to to develop herself off TV, maybe that's why she isn't getting on TV so much. Uh, Ronda Rousey, her original run uh, from the 2018 Royal Rumble to the main event of WrestleMania in 2019, there was a... Yeah, yeah there was a greenness. Yeah, there was a... Obviously, someone in the first year of WWE is going to make mistakes. But there was also that you could tell she was a fan. She could tell she was happy to be there. She enjoyed working with a lot of these people. And she had a a character that you bought into. Everyone enjoyed seeing her. And while she wasn't on TV every week, she was on TV just enough to feel like she was never away. 
Mm-hmm. And then she had the small heel turn leaning at the WrestleMania where she was going up against Becky. And then she took time away and her comeback has just been... Uh, I've never <laughs> seen a comeback that's just so completely horrendous from start to finish. Um, she, she won the Rumble, didn't she? She won the Rumble. She did, yeah, she did, because then she went on a challenge. Uh, Charlotte. Then she was playing this sort of heel tweener badass. I don't care what you think. I'm going to say what I want, but I had no mic skills. Mm-hmm. Then they put her out there to get decimated by Charlotte Flair on the mic. Then she was a face going into WrestleMania, a heel going into Backlash, a, fa- a heel facing Natalia, who was also a heel. She turned heel against Liv Morgan, only for Liv Morgan to sort of turn heel and Ronda to turn back face again. And now she's teaming up with Shayna Baszler, who we all want to see just batter her to be the MMA version of Mean Girls. It's just, (laughs) it was a seven-minute match. It really shouldn't have been a seven-minute match. Shotzi certainly has a place. She's certainly over, as you mentioned. She has a cult following, being the Halloween Havoc host, being the sixth person in a Money in the Bank ladder match, but God's sake, do not let her do any big spots. Being the sixth person in a chamber or the 10th woman in a Survivor Series elimination match, but she is not main event material. Um, and this really, this sorry, Scott, this should have been a match if we were using so many women in war games and we didn't have anyone other than Shotzi, it shouldn't have been a thing. Yeah, I think what the Survivor Series did with the two women's matches is really highlight how much more depth there is on Raw than SmackDown right now. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, Bianca, there's teases with uh, Alexa Bliss kind of making a changing character and maybe going after the title. I've, I've heard, I was reading when I was looking for stories for this show that uh, there was a, pl- a tentative plan to have Rhea Ripley versus Bianca at WrestleMania for the title. And yeah. I think it would be because, like, if you remember, Rhea did win a number one contenders match, but then got injured and so never got that, that title shot. Uh, whereas on SmackDown, the only other competitor other than Liv, which you've done to death already, is kind of Raquel right now for Ronda. And mm-hmm. you already had Shayna and Ronda batter Raquel in order to get to shots when it really feels like it should have been the other way around because I really feel like Raquel versus Ronda would have been a far more compelling match. Maybe they can do that at the Rumble, I don't know. But I, I would be all for them maybe having Shayna turn on Ronda, maybe by having Shayna win the Rumble and then <sighs> challenge Ronda for the two because I can't really think right now who else can win the, the women's Royal Rumble and you can kind of tie it back because I think the, the, the seeds were planted for this alliance when she when Ronda basically said to Sheena let me know when you want to be like a killer again and then you can have Sheena turn her like yeah I'm going to be the killer and I'm going to be the one who takes your title so the idea mm-hmm. the only reason Sheena got back with Ronda is to get close to her and then be the one to to be I think this is kind of a storyline if you do it properly they can actually kind of save this the second run for Ronda yeah, as well, see when Ronda came back, it seemed to be they had a WrestleMania match with Charlotte Flair planned and then a potential WrestleMania match with Becky Lynch planned. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't seem like they've made any tentative plans in between. Like, yeah. 
you, you could so, easily have had, sorry Nigel. yeah sorry but uh, sorry but like, I was going to say like, it does seem like with Becky's comeback they're positioning her for a feud with Bailey, which is one of the few combinations out of the horsewoman feuds that they've not really capitalised on and done anything with mm-hmm. and so I think we've seen in this Triple H kind of era of the creative that you know they're not always hard to find they can sometimes deviate I think this would be a good example of maybe deviating to have them do other stories that make sense because right now there's no real justification to move Becky from Rock SmackDown to fight Ronda right now because uh, I think with the exception of maybe the Rock versus Roman which is shown he's very he's very willing to deviate from plans if the crowd's reacting to a certain thing yeah I agree um, the triple threat match for the US title um, I thought this was just kind of thrown on there but a great match um, a fun 15 minutes sort of spot fest Seth Rollins coming out of nowhere with the frog splash to break up a pin attempt um, I just really I really enjoyed this match but it seems to be uh, Bobby Lashley's going through the curse of bad luck Bobby um, <laughs> he tried to <laughs> he tried that pin attempt on um, what do you call it on Brock Lesnar only to be have it reversed and be pinned at Crown Jewel he then did all the work uh, speared Seth Rollins only for uh, only for Austin Theory to fall on him and get the three count it seems to be Bobby Lashley's going through a series of unfortunate events at the minute <laughs> I do like you know they're doing their best to make the US title feel important again with uh, with Seth holding it you know being the, the biggest star as he is and then having Theory be kind of on this redemption arc and rebuilding him after the money in the bank and you know having three of your top like raw stars on it because obviously Roman's fairly on uh, raw with the world title so you need, a, need another like top singles belt uh, I did I, like I said I really I agree with you I really love this match I, one of my favourite things in wrestling, especially in my, in my matches, is when someone has a move on someone else and you can only see those two and then someone just dives in from out of frame <laughs> to like break it up. It's like when someone just appears out of nowhere and you're not expecting it. Uh, him leaping over, Seth leaping over Austin to hit a curve stomp on Bobby is maybe the best curve stomp Seth hit since Mania 31 <laughs> when he got c- countered into the RKO. Uh, no, <laughs> I like the fact that Theory's a little bit more intense and he's not taking any shit, but there are still elements of the old cowardly Theory, and, and especially with this win, it's, like it's a perfect way for a, a character like him to, to win back the US title, and I think the word is that they're slowly moving Seth back to a babyface role. I think Seth going into an extended program with Theory will really help Theory kind of, really help whatever this new version of Theory is they're wanting to book. Yeah, I agree. Um, and uh, as you mentioned, Seth Rollins come back to face. Uh, he is amazing as a heel, but the reactions he's getting just now with the crowd singing his song, you can't, short of changing his theme song, which I hope they don't, you can't have that sort of reaction for a heel. Yeah. What do you think the the plan for Bobby Lashley is then? Because we can't really keep up the, oh, bad luck, Bobby. Yeah, I mean, I think it is a case of they want to do a third one with with Brock, like a rubber match, but they didn't want to do it too soon at Survivor Series. I think the plan was to do it at day one, but obviously then they cancelled day one, so 
either they do it at the Rumble or maybe they have Brock and him. Maybe you can even have Brock in the Rumble and have him and Bobby eliminate each other. Or maybe after he's done with Seth, you have a rematch. You have another match with Bobby and and Dee at the Rumble. Brock costs them just like how Brock was cost the title match against Bobby the previous year. And then you can even try and extend the Bobby uh, Brock thing all the way to Mania. Yeah, he, uh, Brock versus Bobby Mania, that certainly is a marquee match. Certainly, yeah. that'll be the butts and seats. Yeah, I think, I think it's going to be like the Brock uh, Goldberg thing where you had the first match. Because, like, also Brock and Goldberg had one match that was, you know, boring. Yeah, second match that some people loved, some people hated. And then you had the third match, which everybody loved. I think it's to give you that because like the first match was okay, but it was overshadowed by Roman getting involved, and then the other match was short, and a lot of people didn't like the finish. I think the third match will be the one they <laughs> probably get like just basically spam finisher, let it just go five minutes, spear, fi, spear, suplex, go home. Yeah, I, I wouldn't be against seeing that. <laughs> um, what about AJ Styles Finn Balor? What did you think about that as a match? I thought it was really good. Like I said, I tried to. It took me a couple of minutes for them to get my attention because also we we just watched uh, War Games. I didn't watch this live. I watched this the next day, so I've been sure I could skip between matches, like skip the adverts and everything. So I'd managed to avoid spoilers for the most part, which is good. Uh, I don't know what Finn's going for with these weird masks he's wearing every week. Like first he was wearing some weird, like pin like pinhead style mask, or I looked at that mask he wore at Extreme. I thought like he's been hanging around, but he abruptly too along with that mask. And then he came out with what looked like a really a black like welder's helmet on. <laughs> like, I don't know what that was all about, but I was surprised I AJ. Came... <laughs> I don't. I was surprised when AJ won because I know they went eighteen minutes, but still felt kind of out of nowhere. The finish, like the one with the phenomenal forearm, like I thought it was going to be at least like something to do with the uh, like a four fifty or a styles clash. But you know, I still enjoyed it, and uh, the feud's still going with the the faction kind of warfare right now. So. You know, it was good to see these two have another singles match and AJ Styles' first pay-per-view singles winning in far too long. Yeah, Crown Jewel 2019, I believe it was, against Humberto Carrillo. <laughs> yeah. Jesus Christ. Uh, remember when they tried to make Humberto a thing? That was awful. Uh, anyway, it was, uh, I actually thought this match was going to break down into an elimination-style match because... Um, well, we might not have had a traditional Survivor Series elimination match in the 98 and uh, 2002 iterations. We did have the six-man tables match and the Elimination Chamber in 2002, and then we had the Elimination Tournament. So there was still an elimination aspect that was a lot more uh, built towards the Survivor uh, aspect of this pay-per-view. But I thought when the OC and... Uh, Damien and Dominic started scrapping outside the ring. I was assuming this was going to end up no contest. You know what? Survivor Series style match, three on three. <laughs> no, I think they saved that for the following night because I'm pretty sure they did the thing where it's like Mia versus Rhea. Everybody gets involved. Fuck it, eight person tag team match. Yeah, they saved that for the next night. But yeah, as you mentioned, took a while to get going. I think they they whooped the crowd, calmed the crowd down a bit from the women's war games, and then. The interference with the OC and Damien and Dominic Mysterio ended up building the crowd back up again and then they were able to have a good 15-minute match where they just kind of went for it. So I thought, great match. 
far too long since AJ Styles is a pay-per-view win, but this is a feud that's sort of been going on and on since WrestleMania. The Judgment Day was founded out of an AJ Styles feud when he was going up against Edge. The Judgment Day went up against him uh, in their first two pay-per-view matches and I'm hoping they'll end it soon because it has been going on a while. It's not not getting to the oh god end this, but it is it it's ran its course. <clears throat> I think so. I think so too. Like, I think it made sense for AJ to get the win, not just because he needed a, a pay per view win, but like uh, he, he had Judgment Day winning Crown Jewel, and I thought this made sense rather than doing a Molly Man match because you had that brawl between BOC and Dominic and, fin- and Dominic and Priest, which went took them those four into the crowd. And also Rhea and Mia just competed in war games, so it was a case of like you know, typical like the heels always had the advantage when there's like more people, but then when it was one on one, the babyface got the win. And I have a feeling they're going to need to like make some big matches for the next few next month or so on Raw and SmackDown to keep people you know interested uh, and like keep people watching up until the Rumble because there's no pay per views. Like, I know there's like a tag title match happening next next week. So I imagine there will be some sort of big gimmick match at main events are raw in the next couple of weeks between the OC and uh, Judgment Day that helps kind of blow this off. You know, I'm, I wouldn't mind seeing the Judgment Day or uh, the OC challenge for the tie titles at some point soon because you know, I think any combination of Judgment Day or having the Good Brothers back is kind of like a bit more refreshing to for the tie division because I said there's a tie title match next week. It's fucking Riddle and Elias getting the bloody title shot. <laughs> Oh, the the, the RK bro standing that we didn't want, uh, but yeah, well, I play, I I go from town to town playing guitar. He's a stoner. We're the original odd couple. <laughs> uh, let's go back to the start of the event. We'll talk about the two war games now. Uh, the match that kicked off the show: Team Belair consisting of Bianca Belair, Alexa Bliss, Asuka, Mia Yim, and Becky Lynch. Going up against Team Damage Control, which was Bailey, Dakota Kai, Eosky, Nikki Cross, and Rhea Ripley. Um, first off, Becky Lynch returned on the SmackDown right before. Um, I, I was thinking about this. I honestly think they should have left that. If it's one more day and the show's sold out, why don't you leave that Becky Lynch pop and that return till the night of? I, I get what you're saying, but I think the closer you you got to the, the reveal of the mystery entry, the more you let people's minds go. And I think no matter what, how close to the show Becky coming now happened, I think as soon as they revealed that Becky was on the face team, it was going to reveal to people like, oh, the faces are probably winning then, because you don't reveal somebody so close to the show and then have them lose, even though I still went for damage control in this week, because I thought like, they need to win fucking something. Because Bailey's had a hell of horrible time since Clash at the Castle. But it made sense with Becky on the team. And I think also they wanted to quell any rumours that cause there were some people online thinking it would either be Sasha or Naomi getting involved in this. I think they wanted to kind of quell those rumours. Uh, but, you know, I really enjoyed this as a, as a match. And I liked the fact that they, they had Bianca as a team captain, you know, start, yet Bailey on the heel team. She came in last. Mm-hmm. I agree and obviously it made Bianca look even more heroic because team, uh, team Damage Control sorry, did start with 
the advantage, thanks to Rhea Ripley defeating Asuka on Raw. Um, I get what you're saying about Becky Lynch, not one that we want Sasha, we want Naomi. I think you would have got a chance anyway, you would have got Beth Phoenix chance. But I think if you had Becky Lynch come in Kevin Owens style, War Games 2019, I think that could have been amazing. I thought I think that would have been great. But it wasn't to be. Uh, Becky Lynch was in last for her team. She still got that massive pop. And as you mentioned, you thought Damage Control had to win something. But Bianca Belair, uh, her team picked up the victory. Do you do you think that'll be the end of Bailey's pursuit and that'll lead into the the Becky Lynch feud? Because Becky did pick up the pinfall with that insane ass splash, that's all I can really call it. <laughs> Where she went ass <laughs> through the table. Um pinning uh, Dakota Kai and Eo Sky. And yeah, do you think it's time to move on for the title for Bailey? And what does that mean for Bianca going forward as well? I think you kind of have to at this point because she's had that many failed attempts. You know, it's kind of getting embarrassing at this point. And, you know, I hope in this feud we Becky, if there's a couple of matches in there, so she at least gets to win one of them. Yeah, part of trying to challenge damage control for the belt that Bailey gets involved in it. Uh, with Bianca, you've got. Like I said, you've still got Rhea. We know means you've got Mia Yim. You've got uh, Asuka or Alexa Bliss, which I think would be pretty cool. So there's ways you could go. Like I still think uh, you could have done something interesting with Bianca after this, even if you had Bailey go into this as a role with Shami, which I thought was going to happen if she won the tail at Crown Jewel, but she didn't. Because I think Bailey, be Becky, while it doesn't need the tail, it would have been really cool if that was for the title. Mm-hmm. Uh, you get what I mean? But, you know, and also, everyone's thinking about Alexa Bliss. Is she going to go back to Bray Wyatt? But I was, I had a theory about Alexa Bliss and the, you know, the tease on from Raw about her kind of being distracted after the logo. But that, like, I don't think this is symbolising she's going back to like the spooky Alexa Bliss when she was with Wyatt. I think it's more so she will go back to like Goddess Alexa Bliss, but because of Wyatt's influence, the idea of like this babyface version, whatever this is, isn't the real her. And mm-hmm. like, instead of these people, it'd be people. This whole revel in what you are going into like this new spooky version, like along with Wyatt, it's more so then going back to either versions themselves that worked in the past, or like their face that's not working. Them turning heel, like show the real you, and like the reason, like I'm not this, I'm the goddess, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm the best, and I deserve to be the champion. Yeah, no, I'd absolutely be. I came for that. Um, main event. The bloodline of Roman Reigns, Sami Zayn, Solo Sikoa and the Usos going up against Team Brawling Brutes, Seamus Ridgehall and Butch, Drew McIntyre and Kevin Owens. Um, a lot of the stuff going into this was the conversations with Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn, him saying, turn on the bloodline before they turn on you. Uh, Jey Uso not trusting Sami has been an ongoing thing. Roman Reigns eventually settled it before the match he said I'm going to look in his eyes and if I see what I need to see then then we'll know where he, st- he stands he talks to Sammy he smiles he gives Sammy a hug and then the camera pans in on him and as he's giving him a hug Roman Reigns just has a face like thunder on him he did no emotion 
it's clear to everyone other than Sammy that he's being used by the bloodline. But Roman Reigns takes him in. And I liked when... So the uh, Team Brawl and Brutes started with the advantage. They started the match with Butch and Jey Uso. Then Ridge Holland came in second. And instead of Jimmy Uso, Roman pulled him back and said to Sammy, get in there. Sort of a show your loyalty now. Work together. And I liked the camera panning back. Every time Jay and Sammy snipped at each other, it panned back to Roman Reigns just, oh, Jesus, like, absolutely raging. <laughs> I know, he's like a disappointed dad. Uh, I don't care what he said to you before. If you're going to get along, because you're brothers, and that's final. <laughs> uh, would you call it... Um, I was actually waiting on seeing Roman coming out instead of like Solo or Jay just to like come in and uh, like sort it, just be like, no, this ends now, stop it. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, I did love that kind of moment. I was kind of hoping for like, oh, it would be so cool if it was like, it had to be like Sammy and Jay and they're like, and that's the end of what happened. And it was weird at first, the idea of like them being the heel team, but not having the advantages is just like tradition in war games. I think the mm. idea was like, the fact they had the man like disadvantaged plus you had two guys in there who didn't quite trust each other. It was the idea like this cause the bloodline kind of, they did it was kind of one sided for a point uh, and in favour of the baby faces, but I think it's the idea like these guys are the heels, this is supposed to be their come up and them getting the hell beer than the cage, but they ultimately did find a way, you know, to win in the end. Which I thought was cool. I loved how Solo was portrayed in this match. You know, uh, I think it was Corey Graves. Like, it's like someone put a fur engine and a certain Samoan bulldozer. There's <laughs> all these like, comparisons to him being like like Umaga or Umanga, as Flamingo would say. <laughs> uh, yeah, and Drew McIntyre still coming in like a wrecking ball. Roman Reigns coming in like a wrecking ball. Seems to be, even though he's not in the title picture, Drew is still being treated as that threat in case they need someone to take the title off Roman. Uh, Roman coming out fifth didn't surprise me at all. Um, wasn't really a fan, though, of just comes in, Superman punches everyone and kind of evens it out. It is starting to get a bit like Roman's getting a bit too overpowered here in this tribal chief role. I think I would talk more, right, because the idea he is being portrayed as the final boss of WWE right now. So he comes in kind of all fresh. I did like the idea he's standing there stone-faced looking fresh as anything. And you look at the other bloodlines they are doing that lap pan, like the five on one side, five on the other. The other rest of the bloodline are all knackered. He's just standing there because he's pretty much done fuck all but sitting in the cage so far. And he's basically like, you know, ordering them to do all the work, whereas they're all like, I'm fucking knackered, Roman. Uh, and I wouldn't be surprised if like the bloodline like, at least for the first couple of years, did, like, what the Undisputed Era did for a time in NXT, and, like, the Horsemen before them, and, like, WCW being, like, the main heel faction for the first couple of war games. So, like, yeah, they won here, but then, like, Undisputed Era won the first NXT war games and then lost two more after that, so, like, even if it's just, like, a four-man version next year, like, Roman Solo and the, the Usos, I wouldn't be surprised if they do this next year, if the Bloodline end up coming out on the losing end of that one. Yeah, absolutely. Um... Let's talk about the finish. Uh, Sami Zayn had a choice to make. He blocks a stunner attempt by Kevin Owens, only to then low blow him 
right in front of Roman Reigns. He then battleground 2016 style. Haluva mm-hmm. kicks him twice and then offers him up as a sacrifice to the man who has doubted his loyalty this entire time, Jey Uso. Jey Uso gets the splash, the bloodline get the win, Sami Zayn orchestrated that win, showing his loyalty to the bloodline once and for all. And Jey, it looks like he's won Jey Uso over. It looks like he's... Undertaker came out this past week saying Sami Zayn has never been a bigger star than he is right now. He is a key part of this Bloodline storyline. So, you know, you've had Steve Austin on the Stone Cold podcast uh, praising him, and now you've got The Undertaker praising him. Sami Zayn is... His stock is high as I think it will ever be. I know, and it's amazing to hear The Undertaker say that, you know, because Undertaker doesn't like anything a bit more than day unless there's a knife or a gun involved in it. <laughs> but... <laughs> Like that hug at the end, like the only thing they could have made more perfect is if you had ex- the voice of Excalibur going over it, going, you got to give the people what they want. Because I think <laughs> this is what people have been waiting for, is like for Jay to finally kind of accept Sammy into the into the bloodline. Because I like the fact that he still had some doubt, because Roman faith didn't say a lot when he was hugging Sammy, so I think they did leave some doubt that maybe Roman would turn on Sammy during the War Games match. And if we believe the plans, at some point in the next month or so, Sammy is going to get kicked out. And it's like when you knew Owens and Jericho were going to break up. Like you know it's coming, but I don't think I don't think we're all fully emotionally prepared for how it's going to happen. And yeah. one idea I heard about it is like while this seemed to be like the moment X got him fully accepted in the bloodline, this could also be used as the moment that Roman uses to kick him out later on. Like maybe he secretly didn't trust him f- from War Games onwards and was just waiting for the right moment where he's like, oh yeah, you said we're boys, you said you loved us, but you said that about Kevin Owens in the past and we saw what you did to him in War Games, so how do you, we know you're not going to do that to us in the future? So, you know, mm-hmm. I, I'm just, I did this to protect my family. Yeah. Um, the rumours are coming out of this that uh, once again, Kevin Owens will take on Roman Reigns at the Royal Rumble and a rematch of their 2020 Royal Rumble uh, title match. And it looks like Sami Zayn will get a shot at Roman Reigns at the Elimination Chamber in Montreal in February, leading to Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens going up against the Usos for the tag titles at WrestleMania. Um, I, I think I can see how this is going to play out. It's going to be... Roman wants Sammy at ringside. Roman beats Kevin Owens. Bloodline then start battering the absolute hell out of Kevin Owens after the match. Sammy says that's enough, and then Sammy gets pulled off by the by the bloodline, and then they beat the absolute shit out of him, and that leads to Sammy Zayn in Montreal. Jesus Christ, he is going to get the pop of his life going up against the tribal chief for the universal title. I can I can tell you right now, and I I'm, I will say this on every central from now until then. Roman Reigns is not losing this title until WrestleMania, but in Montreal against Montreal's favorite wrestler of the minute, Sami Zayn, there is going to be one moment where Sami Zayn hits a halluva kick and there is going to be that two and a half count where we all bite, where we all think, 
fuck, that was it. And we are all going to fall for it, no matter what. You can be as clued into wrestling as you like to pretend to be. You can be a jaded mark. You can, oh, well, it was obvious Roman was going to win. No, there is going to be that one moment where Sami Zayn makes us all believe, and I cannot wait for it. It's not even happened yet, but I can tell, especially with the crowd, who are going to be a major part of it. I can tell this is already going to be a 2023 match of the year contender. And it's not Roman. even Aye. it's not even happened yet. And you know, it's a Roman Reigns tradition. You know, Roman always beats, you know, internet favourites on the pay-per-view just before WrestleMania. He's done it twice to Daniel Bryan, he's done it to Dean Ambrose, he's done it to Braun Strowman when we all liked him. And now he's oh. gonna do it to Sami Zayn. It's it's just what Roman does. He he can't complete his road to WrestleMania until you have somebody who else the internet likes who people have hope will make it into WrestleMania into the world title match. And everyone's like, nope, spear, tuck you all. <laughs> and it, I think it's just going to be, it's, it's going to be like that final stop before I believe Roman eventually, like you said, gets B at WrestleMania where you get all that heat on him, which may, will make his downfall at WrestleMania all that more you know, satisfying. And yeah, I, I think maybe there may be a point where like Roman wants Sammy to beat up Kevin Owens either during or after the match and Sammy hesitates like the Royal Rumble which signals them turning on because everyone's seen that moment on Raw where Kevin Owens basically cut ties and they're like I don't want to be associated with you, I don't want to be friends with you, I don't want to have opponents with you, I don't want anything to do with you and Sammy acts like he's okay with it like get, get. they ask you if you're fine, you have to say you're fine but you're not fine <laughs> But uh, and I think it would be a case of like Kevin Owens, even when Sammy's going up against the bloodline, once he's owns the Owens is going to say no, and I think there's going to be like a bloodline beatdown at post-match at Chamber, and Owens is going to hesitate, but then go like, "Ah, oh, I can't stand by." And yeah. It's like Macho Man and Elizabeth getting back together. <laughs> and there'll be that guy with the stupid big glasses and the big hat crying in the front row. Um, as great as the match was and great as the story was and as great as the fantasy booking was, there was one person upset about the match and that was Roman Reigns himself. Uh, WWE fans, obviously incredibly happy with the main event of Survivor Series. Uh, reports state that Roman Reigns, however, was unhappy with a spot that happened during the match and wasn't shy about making that clear. Uh, Fightful Select reporting that Reigns was unhappy with an unplanned spot that took place between him and Kevin Owens. Uh, was visibly upset specifically about a spot within the match it was rumoured among those that we spoke with that Reigns took exception, exception to the unplanned spot and as he walked backstage he mentioned possibly having a ruptured eardrum and wanted the spot to go as originally planned the exclamation was said, said to be expletive expletive of Jesus Christ filled and it wasn't uh, it was clear to everyone that Roman Reigns wasn't happy easy for me to say Um <laughs> So Roman Reigns unhappy with a possible injury, although it is saying uh, reports are the heated exchange was described as being in the heat of the moment, and that they'd expect the Roman heat of the moment. <laughs> and they'd expect Roman and Kale to sort out their issues and work together once more. So I imagine this will be used in the build up to the to the Royal Rumble. Oh look, we're not meant to know that, but we do. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I think it'll be like a storyline, like, Roman, I'm going to speak loudly because I don't know if your eardrum's working all that well. <laughs> Something like that, because Owens is quite good at, like, sneaking little, little, little like, in jokes out. I think there was, like, a talking smack in 20 cents. He goes, like, I'm one of the best in WWE. I'm elite. Wink, wink. 
he literally <laughs> said wink wink the other day. Uh, I feel bad for Seamus because it, it, I think the rumour was initially it was maybe Seamus versus Roman at the Rumble. So I'm hoping maybe we get a SmackDown match between Roman and and uh, Seamus because you know Seamus has had a hell of a year and you know we need one more banger from Seamus before the year is out. Well, obviously the rumours are that this will lead us on to our next our next match, eh, our next story. Sorry, um, day one is apparently cancelled. No word from WWE if it's been cancelled, but it has been reported on all the dirt sheets. However, a major WWE show in India is reportedly in the works for earlier eh, for early next year. We reported on this a few weeks ago, possibly being eh, the Saudi show. But we said it didn't really make sense due to the fact that the 30th anniversary of Raw and the Royal Rumble was the next week. But uh, according to Wrestling Observer, figure four online, major WWE show in India is reported in the works for early next year. According to a report from Sportskeeda, WWE is planning to run a show on a grand scale from Hyperbad with the most likely date being January 18th. The event would come a... A year after the WWE Superstar Spectacle, filmed for the Indian market back in January of 2021, a Superstar Spectacle was part of the company's deal with Sony Pictures India. WWE and Sony announced a five-year extension to in 2020 and revealed the deal would also involve the company returning to India with bigger live events and Superstar visiting the regions for promotional tours to engage with fans. Um, so I'm just checking here if there's any more news. So it looks like a grand scale show in India, and they don't film these grand film these. Sorry, they don't do these grand scale shows without filming them. So you could possibly see a week and a half before the Royal Rumble, Roman Reigns going up against Sheamus in India. That'd be that'd be cool. Uh, you know, we all remember the Superstar Spectacle, right? Couldn't get enough of it. But I hope on like that show it's not just, look, here's some talent that's meant to appeal to the Indian market versus a WWE superstar. And most of them lost. No. So I hope it's just like a, it's always just like a standard like WWE like how like like kind of glorified house show, but like with some decent matches. Maybe they'll have Indushare on it or Jennifer uh, Mahal on it, who knows? Uh what'll happen there, you know. Because you know, Triple H is back in charge of NXT, so NXT India could still happen. Jinder Mahal is NXT India champion for a, for a Bruno Sammartino still reign, still a possibility. We all want that no, to happen. No, no, we do not. Indus <laughs> um, share is getting used on NXT very regularly. It wouldn't be a surprise to see them on the show. Jinder Mahal last eliminated in the first round of the World Cup. Uh, I don't expect to see him until that show, possibly. But um, obviously, the last show we talked about was Survivor Series War Games. Um, Triple H himself tweeted out an, a, a video of it wouldn't be the same without it and it was a compilation of William Regal yelling war games um, and it looks like William Regal could be heading back to WWE in some capacity so we're hearing all different things but in kayfabe MGF turned on William Regal last night on AEW Dynamite. Uh, you remember William Regal turned on uh, John Moxley to help MGF win the title, only for then MGF to turn on Regal. He read out word for word the rejection letter William Regal sent MGF when MGF tried to get 
uh, into WWE 11 years ago. Uh, William Regal, the way they wrote him out, they mentioned his neck issues, his his brain bleeds, his, his multiple surgeries on his back. He took a bump and stayed down and was stretched out of the ring, looking like that could be it for him in AEW. But I'm just going to go to the the report, the different reports that are claiming uh, claiming what they are. Um, so Sean Ross Sapp is reporting that Regal's deal is up in December. Today is December third, uh, December first, at the time of recording. Uh, Meltzer said originally he was on a three-year deal, but he could see WWE giving Regal the money to buy out that contract. And PW Insider is reporting. He's returning to WWE in a backstage role. However, no one in WWE has given any comment or indication to indicate that that is the that is the story. So, a lot of if if ands buts and maybes here, Scott, about yeah. William Regal. What would your ideal role for him possibly be? Where do you see him fitting into the Triple H WWE? I think ideally he would be kind of back in NXT. I think that would be the best role for him because you know NXT without an on-screen kind of role, like, other than like Shawn Michaels and old Grandpa Shawn Michaels showing up occasionally. <laughs> you know, that was the heartbreak kid in my day. <laughs> I wore some chips to the ring, which was the style <laughs> at the time. <laughs> and everyone in the locker room hated me. But... Uh, yeah, so like, the Lord made me put a steroid needle in his ass. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I think like having him on screen, or at least behind the scenes, especially if they're going to be expanding NXT like into Europe and everything, maybe looking at more have kind of a more of a mix of independent and you know college athletes rather than just wholly one side or the other. But I, I don't really know because. Like I think right now in, in AEW, the main role for him would be behind the scenes, so it would be a shame not to see him on screen. Mm-hmm. Because I know a lot of people were against this, but I didn't mind MJF betraying him immediately because it was a case of like he, he contacted MJF to like help him you know, truly become a villain and everything, whereas he thought he was helping, but it was MJF that outsmarted you know, the villain in the end. And when you think about it, MJF doesn't really need someone in his corner or someone to speak for him. So... He's kind of better off as a, as a solo act. Uh, so I don't mean that. And then plus, like, Brian Danielson coming out. I think that's meant they are going to be building to, like, Danielson, MJF at Revolution. So using Regal in there, I think is a good way to get there. But, you know, I, don't, I think he seems pretty happy, like, where he is right now. So it depends because, you know, we talked about off air about how his relationship with Triple H, how they don't ask each other for things and that. So you know, I think he wouldn't, like, in- take interest in going to IW unless he really felt like he could do something over there but yeah look at that um, I'll, like, sorry so no, no. no I was, I was going to ask you about the I was going to ask you about the, the segment if you'd watched there or what you thought of it I watched the segment I saw the reveal of the three B's which is really four B's the big Burberry belt um, <laughs> I I loved Tony uh, no, Tony Giovanni He's desecrated our championship. And Taz is just like, oh, I think it looks kind of nice. But they just know. <laughs> like, there is, a, there is a, a deep anger looking at that four-year-old championship and pretending there's history. And then Taz just going, I don't know, kind of like it. I think it was like, 
like you see Albert didn't like have a see it like whether it was a buzz or not, he just went wow and then Taz compliments and then just totally short like that is the ugliest looking thing I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> like MGFT's like having like a record breaking reign or like holding all the way up into the bidding war where his contract runs it, which I think would be a great kind of storyline, like getting closer to that and like every title defense there's a lot more pressure because like his contract could run out while he's still the champion. And it would be great for Tony Schiavone because I think like we'll see his hair get more and more white up until NGF finally. Until like, NGF. Uh, sorry, I'm just picturing C. Boyle when uh, Jake goes to prison. He loses the youth of his legs through grief. His hair goes white. He has to dye it chestnut brown. It just <laughs> he just falls apart. He loses the use of his legs, and then the minute NGF loses the title, he stands up like Linda at WrestleMania X7. <laughs> Imagine Tony Khan with Linda McMahon's haircut. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> but yeah, as you mentioned, um, Brian Danielson could be a future contender. We, we know that Moxley wants his title back. We'll talk about Moxley's uh, future plans in a wee minute but yeah Brian Danielson is now waiting in the wings it's not just about a title anymore it's personal you know we know the relationship between uh, Danielson and uh, Regal and hey those brass nuts he could yeah. easily use them on Danielson for the same effect like oh my god yeah, I think I think he did kind of tease his next three big feuds because he mentioned Ricky Starks who's got the title shot I assume it winter is coming Danielson yeah. He also referenced Kingston. I don't know why they weren't in like New York or anything, but he just randomly mentions Andy Kingston. So they wouldn't. I don't think he would do that unless there was plans. But I think when he eventually does lose it, like he drops a JBL reference, like I'm gonna have a long reign that's gonna make likes of JBL and Jeff Jarrett look like look like a transitional reign, and like he called, he said, "I'm gonna have a reign so long it makes Bruno San Martino roll in his grave." Oh, I love that so much. <laughs> and. I would. I think it would be the best way to end his reign would be like have one of the other pillars or self-proclaimed pillars end it. And for me personally, the best option out of the other three is Jungle Boy. Jungle Boy would be good because they made it clear they have past relationships, don't they? They are. Yeah. They have worked together before. They do know each other. Um, but yeah, you meant we mentioned a uh, obviously Triple H and Regal's thing. Uh, Regal did say on Rene Piquet's podcast a few months ago Re, uh, Triple H and I have never asked each other for anything we know if we have to we can but we never have maybe this is the time where Triple H breaks that golden rule and says I'd like you to come back because Triple H is wearing many hats at the moment and talent relations could be a good one for William Regal or Maybe he just wants a cushy wee office job in Florida. Triple H could more than likely, more than likely provide that for him, you know. So it'll be interesting to see how this goes, but it does look like it's the final appearance uh, for William Regal. From final appearance to final battle, uh, transition seamless. This is why we're <laughs> Turkey's number one wrestling podcast. Um, two matches announced for uh, AEW slash Ring of Honours. Final battles uh, airing Saturday, December 10th. We'll also talk about another pay-per-view airing on that date shortly. Uh, the Ring of Honor World title is on the line. Le Champion, number eight, Chris Jericho, 
take it, the old job, take it on uh, Claudio Castanoli. And if Castanoli loses, he has to join the Jericho Appreciation Society. I like it. Uh, I'm hoping that, that Claudio wins because as good as Jericho was, I think his reign kind of run out of steam when they started running back him and Brian, him and Claudio quite soon. And, and then suddenly getting Sammy Guevara involved in matches for the title that he shouldn't have been in. So I think this is, because I think all the hope is that around Final Battle they'll announce some sort of TV deal. So I think if they get a TV deal, then obviously Jericho will fulfill these purposes Ring of Honor champions so I'll give it back to Claudio because you know I know he may not have been doing much when he was champion but he was doing even less when he wasn't champion so let him have a run on the actual Ring of Honor TV show there and maybe he'll actually do something in AEW Yeah I, I find it weird that Chris Jericho had a problem with going to Impact because it was small time and yet here's Ring of Honor that doesn't have a TV deal I mean, for all the problems Impact had, they were never off TV. Um, but anyway, uh, Daniel Garcia will also be going up against Wheeler Utah in a singles match for the Ring of Honor Pure Championship. They've had some good matches in the past. I'm looking forward to seeing that again. Uh, it was a promo which, in hindsight, makes Wheeler Utah look even more right, where uh, he lost the belt to Garcia when it still looked like Garcia would leave the JS, but then they say just not to do that. <laughs> And, and like Wheeler, when Daniel Bryan was still trying to defend him, or Bryan Danson, so was still trying to defend him, and if he and Wheeler did with Renee, he just Wheeler just stands up and goes like, "How how are you the only one who still can't see how much of a piece of shit this guy truly is?" <laughs> and really, in hindsight, like yeah, he was kind of right. Like you're you're the idiot here. You made everyone else everyone else could clearly see it, but you've tried to get everybody by that he was a good guy. But so I'm hopeful this is like Wheeler trying to get you know retribution against Garcia and and getting the belt back, but I'm looking at, I know you'll probably talk about the card when they get more announcements next week, because it's the, the pay-per-views next weekend, but I'm assuming maybe the Wardlow-Joe thing will carry over for the TV title, I think the tease is Athena versus Mercedes for the women's belt, but I think one thing I'm annoyed about is the only people that I've seen in it, if they are doing anything with on TV, is the Ass Boys, Colton and, and Austin Gunn, and if that's the match that they want to do at Final Battle for the tag titles, I'm very pissed off. <laughs> because, again, me and Grant talked about it, and yeah, some people say, oh, not everybody watches New Japan, but listen, FTR could have been in Japan right now in World Tag League fighting some of the best teams in the world. You know, you'd, you gave up nine potential Match of the Year contenders to have them fight the ass boys. I 100% agree with you and Grant's uh, anger there. <laughs> I... I, I defended the ass boys when Billy Gunn was managing them. Now that Billy Gunn's gone, so is Ross's support. See you back. See you back. <laughs> but yeah, it looks like there will be more added next week. We'll talk about that and uh, the NXT Iron Survivor a lot more next week. But before we move on and talk about the Iron Survivor uh, participants being revealed on NXT this past week, a couple more AEW notes. Um, the match that no one asked for, Orange Cassidy against QT Marshall in a lumberjack match on Rampage for the All-Atlantic title. This is the trouble right now with Ring of Honor titles, New Japan titles, and all of AEW's titles being on TV, is that you end up with matches like this. This is what we talked about, not having it Survivor Series. 
But now we have yeah, Orange Cassidy versus QT Marshall in an All-Atlantic Championship match on Rampage. Quite frankly, for me, QT Marshall should be near. No titles whatsoever. He should be a buy-in guy at best. But, hey, I'm sure when you're pals with Tony Khan, you can do whatever you want. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think they repeat Rampage, and uh, I've actually already read the results, and, like, this this match, I don't imagine it being very good, but I read the other matches that happened in this, this particular Rampage, I'm like, well, this looks like the, the best of a shit bunch here. Like, literally, I was reading this, like, this is this is really getting to WCW Thunder levels of, of unwatchable, this Rampage here. It, it does happen. I mean, it happened with WWE and main event and superstars. You can keep holding back big stuff from the big shows. The big show. Uh, <laughs> keep putting stuff on these hour-long shows because eventually the people that pay you the big bucks for your TV deal go, uh, excuse me, we'd like that match on our show. Thank you kindly. And you kind of have to, the, the person with the big bag of money, you have to kind of agree with them. But... Um, Something that was good on uh, on Impact uh, on um, on Dynamite was the return of Adam Page. So John Moxley's in the ring. He's angry. He's shouting. You know, doing what he always does. He's barking like my dog in the background. And then uh, he says, "This is my ring, and no one out there has the balls to come tell me otherwise." When who had the balls, but the biggest cowboy in the yard, Adam Page. I definitely, like, I remember I saw the clip uh, the next day, and it was kind of teasing somebody was coming out. So I know, oh, good, I like, always like it when somebody says, "There's no one out there." Like, okay, so who's going to come out? Who's coming out? And then out comes uh, Hangman Adam Page, and you know, I was all about it because obviously they had the story when Hangman got that injury. I think it'd be a good match for me, Revolution. You know, keep Moxley out of the title scene for now, but. It just seemed weird that he's going into another series when you thought he was going to finally take that time off he was meant to have ages ago before all the punk stuff kind of kicked off. But I also did like that Moxley wasn't playing the full-on face here. It did seem like you're around more for Hyman because Moxley says to him, oh, did you, you know, like, you really want to get into the ring with me after what happened last time? And then he points his head and goes, or can you not quite remember? Yeah, it's... Um... It's a weird one as well because he's not cleared yet, Hangman. Uh, he was only there because that's where he's from. He's from Indianapolis. And yeah, the, it might be that sort of Tony Khan's maybe met Moxley halfway, right? Look, you can't have time off, but you can have a feud where you don't need to wrestle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's the case. I think he's like, oh, he's not meant to. You know, he's, he's here just to see if he get good. He's not meant to be actually out here in a physical capacity. Just kind of blending with real life. So he's like, oh, like, would you make some tension when they actually do start throwing hands? Like, oh, should he really be doing this? And I think also you can play off the whole have not being cleared so you can carry this over to Revolution. They explain why they're not having a match like immediately, like, like, like a show like uh, Winter is Coming, those kind of shows. Uh, and maybe you can have Moxley take a few weeks off or have Moxley come and keep calling about until he's cleared. And then you have another big brawl which sets up the Revolution match. Yeah, that'd be good. Um, so let's move on to the Iron Survivor match at NXT Deadline. Uh, this past Tuesday, Hall of Fame judges Molly, Ho- Molly Holly, Alundra Blaze, X-Pac and Road Dog helped pick the five participants for the Iron Survivor Challenge, both male and female. And the male side of things, we have 
Carmelo Hayes, JD McDonough, Madonna, uh, Grayson Waller, Joe Gacy, and the wild card, which will either be Von Wagner, Axum, or Andre Chase. Uh, and the women's side of things, we've got Zoe Starks, Cora Jade, Roxanne Perez, Kiana James, and the wild card, which is either going to be Wendy Chu, Fallon Henley, or Indy Hartwell. And of course, we have our world title match, Braun Breaker versus Apollo Crews. Um, just looking at that lineup there for the men's one, to me, it's obvious Carmelo Hayes, it's his time. Mm-hmm. I think if this is going to be the WrestleMania, a WrestleMania weekend takeover main event, Carmelo Hayes is your guy. As talented as the former Jordan Devlin is, as good on the mic as Joe Gacy and Grayson Waller was. And, you know, Von Wagner's also there because I said <laughs> he's going to be the wild card. Um, it's Carmelo's time. Yeah. I think it's been Carmelo's time for a long time. And I, I wouldn't even hold off to the mayor take I'd say like, if they're going to do that special, they do the first week week of the year that New Year's Eve. I say put it on him then. I'm pretty sure his first reign started at a New Year's Evil when he first beat Champa. Like he fought him at Halloween Havoc and then fought him at another special where he won it, which I think was New Year's Evil. So it kind of be like a full circle thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, then Braun show up first appearance on the main roster and the Rumble, and then you have him on the, the main roster because I think Braun's already outgrown NXT. I think the next step is to have Carmelo take the the tail because I think. Ron Baker was a good example, like a good success story for the 2.0 era, and which made sense why he was a champion for most of that time. But now it's not quite 2.0 anymore. It's kind of a hybrid of both kind of versions of NXT. I think it's the best example. <laughs> yeah, the, uh, I think this the best champion for this era is Carmel because like he had a limited amount of time in the NXT, so he's a great wrestler. But a lot of his development came to the NXT system, so he's kind of you know, you know, he's the best of both worlds in a sense. So. I definitely think he needs to be the champion like ASAP. And I think on the women's side, it's got to be Indy Hartwell that wins uh, the wild card and gets into the Survivor. Is, did you see Zoe Stark was in the Iron Survivor? Uh, yeah, so it's uh, confirmed as Kiana James, Roxanne Perez, Cora James, Zoe Starks. See, it's weird because it doesn't seem any obvious person to take the belt from Mandy because. Although I think with this new character, I should say that maybe Zoe Stark should win the belt, but then Zoe as a heel winning it from Mandy, who's also heel, and Mandy's had this like Triple H esque two thousands like reign, wouldn't really feel the same. Like, I feel like it should be a face, but I don't know anybody else it could be. I think it. Ne- I think it should be Roxanne Perez. Roxanne Perez, former tag team champion, never lost the title. Um, had Mandy Rose beat before Cora Jade turned on her had the big um, takeover match which wasn't for a title which is rare for the women in NXT beat Cora Jade and if you get that spotlight twice in non-title matches on NXT I think you are the the next person and I think this will be another one for her so for me I'm going to go Carmelo Hayes and Roxanne Perez as my Iron Survivors yeah, I wouldn't be against that if I'm honest. Yeah, because I think uh, as much as I like to see Zoe go for the two, I think it's going to be a case if she gets wrapped up in this Zoe start, uh, sorry, Nikita Alliance thing, then goes for the two, and I think it would make more sense 
are going after Roxanne than and Mandy. But you mentioned the WrestleMania takeover. I was had high hopes for that. Maybe it would be better than last year standing deliver under Triple H and like well Triple H had maybe having some input and like Shawn Michaels run the ship. But no, it's still happening. I think the first day, like the same day, night one is WrestleMania. But like I think there was like a doors open thing posted online. I think the doors open at like nine forty five a.m. So like a, it's like a morning takeover, the morning of me and night one. Like like I love wrestling. Would I go to a show even if it was a takeover at that time in the morning? No, no, absolutely not. Well, what? So nine forty-five doors open. I think it was like a, either start time or like doors opening. Like so, like people are entering the building at like fucking before ten a.m. the morning of a WrestleMania. Most of whom are probably not from uh, LA or wherever it is it's happening. So probably will have issues getting there, and then. NXT even under this new color scheme isn't doesn't have the biggest following, so I think they've gone for another arena show, which I don't think they'll sell out. Yeah, that's. I'm imagining if so, the US Central Belt is five hours ahead. Sorry, is five hours behind us. So if it's a nine forty-five uh, opening time, I'm betting that they'll probably be about half hour of recording from 10 to 10.30 for NXT that 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 next that coming Tuesday. And then you'll have the half-hour pre-show, so you're probably looking at 11 o'clock. So 11 o'clock their time, 4 o'clock our time, and then 1 a.m., which, by the way, Triple H, can we go back to midnight for these premium live events, please and thank you? <laughs> um but yeah, so you'll have a pay-per-view at 4 and then a pay-per-view at um, 1 a.m. It's going to be a, I might watch it live just because I like to have time between watching one wrestling thing and watching another. Because I love wrestling, but I'm not watching two pay-per-views back-to-back. <laughs> yeah, and plus, Triple H, if you insist on having giving WrestleMania the two-hour pre-show, I know you've not been given pre-show matches, you know, matches for the most part since you've taken over, but I'm not sitting through two hours of bastard talking. Well, I see like a bunch of people filing to a stadium. I wish I was in. I know, I know. It's like I know, I know. We have the WrestleMania SmackDown, but if we've got two hours to fill, I'm, I'd much rather see a battle royal than watch Jerry Lawler try to tell granddad jokes for two hours. Yeah, but we'll move on from WWE to Impact. Impact Wrestling and Anthem have announced that they've signed a multi-year international partnership with a, 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 it's spelled D-A-Z-N Dazen 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 Yeah, I think it's Blue's friend uh, Dazen I've got some details here uh, mm-hmm. about it where I think it's Dazen themselves announced that Impact content, it won't be live yet, but to start with the Impact, episodes of Impact as well as BTI will be available one day after broadcast in most uh, countries, as well as the week of broadcast. That show, a show they apparently do on Access now, they do uh, an archive show called Impact in 60, where they show highlights of a certain wrestler's career in Impact or a particular match type, so that will be available on his own as well. It said all 12 specials for Impact, including the 8 Impact Plus special and four pay-per-views per year. Royal Round is over within one week of original broadcasting, but there was hints that in the future they will aim to have a full 
Impact pay-per-views live, so for now we'll have them like a few days later, but the hoping in the future that you will be able to watch the, the, at least the four big Impact pay-per-views live on the zone, but they have said they're not doing like classic TNA Impact content for that, that'll remain on Impact streaming service Impact Plus. Yeah, I'm just reading here as well, the multi-year agreement will give uh, does own viewers in 170 plus countries, including the UK, Ireland, Switzerland, Austria, France, Poland, Spain, Italy, the Netherlands, Japan, and Brazil, uh, the best seat in the house to impact uh, Impact Wrestling's weekly Impact flagship series, home to larger-than-life characters, high-stake matchups, and blockbuster drama. So, beginning November 29, so two days ago, uh, as time of recording, so 170 countries now have access to Impact Wrestling. It's, yeah. a, it's a massive deal for Impact. We've we mentioned not being a fan of the Billy Ray stuff on Impact at the minute, but mm-hmm. barring that, Impact really has been batting a thousand for the past two yeah. years or so. And this just is another another step towards um, another step towards Impact getting back to where they were because there was a time where they were really running WWE close. Yeah, because. I think right now there's, it's never been really easier to watch Impact because you know the pay-per-views, the four pay-per-views are available on Fight TV, and like so far, like they've had Ultimate Insider, which gives you the the weekly show, the weekly special. Then you now you can get it on the Zone, which is apparently in the UK seven ninety nine a month. So for that, you get the Impact specials and Impact TV, a new place to watch it. You can get it on your, your Amazon Fire Stick, Google Chromecast. Apparently, I'm reading in this argo here and what's amazing about the countries available is apparently it's available in london paris tokyo canada scotland or ironically all places where they believe in joe hendry <laughs> oh i was wondering where you were going with that when you said london as a country i'm like what <laughs> anyway moving swiftly on in scotland I was trying. To, I was trying to remember the bit where he lists countries in his song. I didn't know if he meant, if he says London in it. I just, so I just did it. Which I was listening to an interview of him before. He goes, "Like I took that inspiration from Pitbull because I thought Pitbull just names places in his song. So I decided to write a song where I could name as many places as possible." Well, let's name a place. Let's name Knox County. Oh Jesus! Right. So Scott, much like many a child from the eighties had to watch Hulk Hogan's Fall from Grace and learn about their favourite wrestler being a bit of a dick. Um, Kane and politics has not been a good thing for you. And no, no, it hasn't. It came out in the last week that Kane has been hit with misconduct allegations over his role as Knox County Mayor. Now, when you hear misconduct in the post-Me uh, Too era, we think of the worst. We think, oh, God, what has he done? No, it just turns out he's just been acting like Kane, but in real life, where it's not acceptable. Uh, the WWE legend, whose real name is Glenn Jacobs, moved into politics as a Republican and was elected as Knox County, Tennessee mayor four years ago and re-elected over the summer. Reported by Knox News, Jacobs was accused of asking county employees to work at his home while on the clock and he allegedly pressured the department head to lie to state investigators. It's also claimed he swore at the individual and refused to lie. The allegations have been revealed after a federal lawsuit settled by the county as they agreed to pay the equivalent of £123,000 to former Parks and Recreation Director, not Ron Swanson, Paul White. <laughs> uh, not that Paul White, by the way. Um, the case settled last week with Deputy Law Directors uh, 
Deputy Law Directors Houston Habesey and David Wiggler denying any illegal activity. Why is he turning into Vince McMahon? You get stooges, you get everything. Uh, meanwhile, a county spokesperson told Knox News that the work done in Jacob's home, including removing a snake from his house, was done on the workers' lunch break and so wasn't on county time. Um, accusations of misconduct followed Jacob's chief of staff, Brian Hare, resigning after he allegedly used a county-owned golf cart at his home. Jacobs is alleged to have encountered White to lie to state investigators about illegal personal use of the vehicle. While it was claimed he pounded a desk and swore at any employee that refused, uh, I also mentioned. <laughs> Jacobs, a former WWE superstar with an imposing frame, used his intimidating presence to get what he wanted uh, from officials. So, yeah, basically, basically he's just acting like Kane. He's, he's throwing... If he starts setting fire to stuff, I'll start condemning him. <laughs> when we first said, oh, he started acting like Kane, and we all thought, Jesus, whose testicles did he electrocute this time? But, yeah, it's, it's weird. There's no, there's no, there's no good side to your childhood heroes as you get older. Either they die too young or they live long enough to become a racist or a really shit politician or, you know, on some sort of registry. Like it's just a no-win situation at this stage, and you know I think the signs were there about how bad of a politician Kane was going to be when he released that book. Where the first two thirds when it's wrestling based are good, and then that really boring politics. But uh, yeah. I got I somehow got through it, but it's the hardest read I've ever had so far. <laughs> but uh, I don't know what else I can really say at this point because I think. Everyone said everything they can say about Kane, the politician, you know, essentially says that he's a libertarian but becomes more and more Republican the longer his term goes on, which is basically, which is pretty much against most things that libertarians apparently believe in, so he's a liar as well. You know, someone in politics lying, Jesus. I think, like, uh, again, I don't know what to say. I, don't, I tried, I stopped following him on Twitter, but then people I do follow quote me to, shit things he says and are condemning him so I'll keep having to be reminded of things he says <laughs> on Twitter I think there was a like because first because the worst one before this was like the full anti-mask thing despite this is the man who wore a mask for most of his career and then I think there was a Zoom call that came out in like 2021 of like him he apparently arranged to have some sort of like like one of those little like really negative videos against a political rival and then he was on a Zoom call with a bunch of colleagues, including that said rival. And then they played the video in front of everybody and basically listed all the reasons why it was the wrong thing for him to do. And he had to, he had to just sit there like a scolded child and listen to these people just condemning him. I felt like he was back at the asylum with Paul Bear. Anyway, let's move on uh, from... Someone who can't go out gracefully to someone who did go out gracefully this past weekend. Uh, Ricky Steamboat uh, had what looked like to be his final match ever. Uh, his first match in over 11 years. Uh, I'm just going to read the card here for you. Scott Steiner won a pre-show battle royal. Matt Hardy defeated Crowbar. Because uh, I don't know why. But uh, so the phrase, Scott Steiner won a a pre-show battle on a show that featured Ricky Steamboat wrestling for the first time in 11 years. There's nothing about that that isn't funny. 
Uh, Matt Hardy defeated Crowbar. Um, Kerry Morton defeated Brian Pillman Jr. for the NWA World Junior Heavyweight Championship. Uh, Danny Miles defeated uh, Facade for what is called the BTW Championship. Uh, the Rock and Roll Express defeated the Briscoes. Uh, Savannah Evans defeated Amber Nova. And the team of Ricky Steamboat and FTR defeated Jay Lethal, Brock Anderson and Nick Aldis. Uh, all three wrestlers put their opponents in a figure four and all three opponents tapped at the same time. So a nice ending to a nice career. And it looks like he's not going to step in between the ropes again. But wait, there's more. There's Tony Khan. Tony Khan wants Ricky Steamboat to have his final match in AEW. No, just don't. I know. Tony Khan just seems to want to collect figures. It, like it's, They're not wrestling figures, mate. They're real guys. He's 69. He didn't wrestle nice. for 11 years because he had a brain hemorrhage. Like, let's not test that. Like, I think he's just... He got he managed to somehow get Sting to have some great matches a few years after it looked like Sting's neck was in too bad condition to wrestle. But like you can't do that with every former wrestler. You know, from the brief clip I did see of this, you know, it looked better than what I imagine the Ric Flair thing was because he didn't blade, which is part one of the main reasons I've refused to watch that bloody Ric Flair final match. <coughs> but you know, I feel like. I feel the same way about the way Tony Khan goes about hiring people and like some of the decisions. The same way Kevin Smith described Prince when he met him years ago in a documentary when like Tony's been living in Tony Land for far too long. <laughs> Tony will come to us and say, Ricky Steamboat is wrestling. I want him to have a match. And he can't <laughs> process why we can't make that happen. <laughs> well, someone who can't process that his career is very much over is a man who recently had his last match, Ric Flair. Uh, Ric Flair says, I'm in better shape now than I was in my last match. I could wrestle right now if someone needs me to. They don't. And, and has said that he will be at Raw's 30th anniversary. And if WWE wants it, he'll put on his trunks for one final Royal Rumble appearance. Sweet mother of God. But seeing he was in better shape than he was when he had that last match is not really a high bar to reach when you <laughs> think about it. And like, Rick, please, someone someone please explain to him why he sh- this is a bad idea, you know, other than the obvious. Like, Rick, and this might sound harsh, your career is over. Let it die before you do. <laughs> I don't think he's going to take a tail in there. Um, and listen, we, we, we joke, we we slag, we make fun of, but if I hear woo at the Royal Rumble, I'm going to pop. I, I don't care. I think it would be amazing. Yeah, you would pop, but then he would step to the ropes, and as soon as he stepped to the ropes, he suddenly realised, like, oh, wait, he's, he's, in, he's actually in the ring. This will not go well. <laughs> This will oh. not end well. <laughs> Could you imagine? <laughs> Ric Flair is number one and Brock Lesnar is number two. Oh, sweet mother God. <laughs> Brock would reduce him to dust. He would hit him with one F5 and he would entirely crumble. <laughs> Ric Flair gets, gets clear to be in the rumble. He's like, buddy, Mr. Burn, 
So what you're saying is, I'm indestructible. Well, no, Rick, even the slightest shoulder tackle on a wrestling ring, indestructible. <laughs> well, yeah. Oh, there's a there's a fun thought for us to end central on Ric Flair and the rumble with Brock Lesnar. Anyway, thank you very much for joining us tonight on ESSR Central. Thank you very much, Scott, for joining me. Remember, if you want to listen to our massive back catalogue enjoyed by many a many a Turkish man, then make sure to go to Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet on iTunes, Anchor and Spotify. Don't forget, at Suplex Retweet, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram and YouTube. That's where you can find all our social media content, all our social media uh, links and all the links to our previous content. Uh, Scott, thank you very much for joining me. Thank you, Ross. It was fun to talk about old men who won't quit and my childhood hero for their, for their going downhill. Thank you very much. And to all my Turkish pals out there, gilly gilly. There now follows an enthusiastic advertisement for Quiz Showdown. Hello guys, welcome to Quiz Showdown. I'm Daniel Campbell and in this show you're going to see the members of the Eat Sleep Suplex retweet team go through a very strange quiz. We don't know what the heck's going on with it, but you're going to have to watch to find out. Go check out on the YouTube channel now. That was an enthusiastic advert for Quiz Showdown.